Welcome to season two of the Life with Magic podcast. My name is Magic Dyke, and I'm your host. To my returning listeners, thank you for sticking with me through this journey. And to my new friends who just joined us, I'm going to take a second to let you know who I am and what it is that I aim to do here. I am a certified life coach, internationally recognized drag king, and a professional Gemini. Life with Magic hosts conversations with people from all walks of life. I talk to sex workers, licensed therapists, teachers, artists, activists, religious leaders, and interesting people that I find on the internet. I truly believe the knowledge is all around us. We just need to open our eyes, our minds, and our hearts in order to see it and receive it. Okay, so now that we got our introductions out the way, let's get into today's episode. Our subject for today is grief. We're going to be exploring how to navigate grief, how to support those who are grieving, and how to be gentle with ourselves and each other along the process. I had the pleasure of sitting down with Naomi, who is a black queer femme that serves as a grief guide and a death guide. Naomi is the founder of The Glorious Hum, which provides a supportive space to explore the topics of mortality, end of life care planning, and bereavement. It's an absolute honor to have you here, Naomi. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me and thinking of me, Magic. I'm excited. So I'm just going to give you the space to, you know, tell us a bit about yourself, how you got started in this journey of um, grief work. Yeah, totally. Um, So a bit about me. First and foremost, I am queer, I'm black, and I am female identified, very, very femi. Um, (laughs) I feel like those are three things that are really important to know about me because they clearly like color the way that I interact with the world and how the world interacts with me. Um, So I'm a born and bred New Yorker, specifically Brooklyn. I mean, it's not, you're not a Brooklynite if you're not always saying you're from Brooklyn. (laughs) Um, And how I got started in this work was that um, I experienced the loss of a really close mother figure. Um, My ex-partner's mother passed from cervical cancer um, and I was helping to take care of her and she had this really big wonderful family and I remember thinking how lucky she was that she had this big support system Um, and also just like being with her and kind of watching her wrap her mind around her own mortality um, was just really, really deeply impactful um, on me, especially just as one black woman watching another black woman, um, a younger black woman as well, just like grapple with that really, really touched me. And after she passed, I just remembered thinking again that she was so lucky she had this big, huge family. And especially being from New York, like that's not really something that's available to everybody. So many people die alone without people to visit them or even acknowledge the fact that they're transitioning. So from there, I really just thought like, you know, if I could just do that for one person and give that to one person, I would just, it would just be really fulfilling to do that. Um, So from there, I started, um, researching like how to be a death doula i found a program through the amazing elua arthur who runs going with grace um so i took her uh death doula program i'm so glad i did that and i started volunteering with hospice and literally right when i was about to start volunteering for hospice i lost my mother in december of 2019 and that was really how um how I moved into grief work. I think I was very much focused on death care, but then when I lost her, just 
the my world just kind of completely yawned off its axis. And I really kind of threw myself into reading as much as I could about grief because like I'm somebody that likes to research very like um, information oriented. So the only way that I could wrap my mind around it was to completely dive into like the ins and outs of it. And as I was doing that, I just realized there was so much about grief that we don't really interact with, that we don't really know about, that we don't really touch on, um, which led me into grief work because I just, you know, as I'm still on, on my journey, it's very recent. I just want to offer the information that I found in the early stages of grief, because I want other people to not have to, not have to dig so hard and look so hard, especially black people. We have enough to worry about. We should have resources that are readily available to us. So we don't have to, we don't have to fight our way to get them. So that's a little bit about me and how I got started on this path. Thank you for sharing. And for the people who don't know, like the, the gist of what grief work is, can you just give like a brief overview of like what that work entails and what your role as a grief worker entails? Sure. Specifically for me, my focus as far as grief is like education. So just like giving education about what grief looks like, what it can look like outside of just kind of the common idea that we might have of like somebody collapsing and being sad and just like being so overwhelmed with grief. That is one way that grief looks, but grief can also look like someone who's outside smiling and just going about their day. Grief looks like a lot of different things. Grief takes a lot of different shapes. Um, also, uh, for me, um, grief work also just looks like holding space and trying to do my best to provide safe space and a safe container for people to explore those feelings, which I offer in um, a grief group that I run called Black Folks Grieve. It's just a place for Black people to show up and be seen in our grief experiences collectively. Um, and also for me, it looks like one-on-one -on -one grief support. And again, just offering safe space and compassionate space for people to show up as they are um, and for me to provide resources if they're looking for a specific knowledge or support within their grief mm. like I feel like I can from my personal experience like I'm imagining all these different things that you do like in your day-to-day -day life where it's like you're handling a lot of people's heavy emotions or you're carrying your own heavy emotions in the work mm. that you do just because this is the nature of grief so like how yeah. do you manage to like you know like at the end of the work day what is it that you do to kind of like fill up your reservoir mm, that's a really great question um that was something that i really struggled with when i when i had the idea that i wanted to do this work um and something that sometimes i still do struggle with because you know we change, our feelings change, certain things come up, and I feel like we're always changing along with our grief. So something that works this day might not work this other day. But generally speaking, the things that I do to um, sort of pour back into myself after holding space for others is I love taking long walks, um, like long walks where I don't have to talk to anybody and I can just really be in my own world and just sort of recalibrate after being in that space are really helpful. I love taking baths. <laughs> baths are really my thing, like peak water sign things. <laughs> 
baths where I can just sit and listen to music. I also love to read in the bath. Like I do all the things in the bath. So baths are key. Um, and being at my altar is really important. I have a little altar space set up with pictures of my mom and like her Bible and just other family members. So sometimes just cleaning and tending my altar, sitting there and just like having conversations with my people like really, really, really helps because it's just a reminder that I'm not alone in the work that I'm doing. And I'm not only doing the work for others who are, you know, so graciously trusting me to hold that space for them. I'm also doing this work for like me and like my people. We need this too. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. I resonate with taking baths because <laughs> I feel like that's the best way to like cleanse your energy oh, and then just like yes. let it go down the drain where it's like, well, there goes the whole day's, exactly. you know, everything I was carrying is just down the all drain. the Epsom salt, all the Florida water. Yes, yes. yes, yes. <laughs> I think there was one time I tried like a sage and like this like beautiful spiritual bath that mm -hmm. I found online and I was like, I felt so different afterwards. Like, yes, it was beautiful. It's real. When you feel you get up and you feel lighter and you're like, oh, I had a lot that I needed to let go and maybe I didn't even realize it. Mm -hmm. Especially when you wash your hair, it's like your crown carries all the things that you just like Especially just sit up here. the hair, yes. Mm -hmm. I love that. And speaking of altars, like I have a little altar space that I'm actually cleaning out and mm -hmm. trying to like, you know, spring cleaning is here. Yes. I'm going to wash my, my little cloth and clean yes. my rocks. How do you, how does your altar space help you, you know, connect with your ancestors? Or how do you use your altar space to kind of like, I guess, cross that? What is that? Like the medium? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like, I don't know the I, words. I feel you. you. <laughs> I feel you. <laughs> I, I think the interesting thing for me is that um, I, I, I didn't have an altar growing up and like my, it's not something that I saw growing up. Um, but after like, you know, I moved out of my parents' house and got a little older, I always had an altar and it was kind of like an organic thing that just evolved. Like I never sat down and was like, okay, I want to put up an altar. It just kind of happened on its own. And then every single place that I moved to my, like I brought my altar with me and it changed and I did different things with it. Um, but I feel like it wasn't, I feel like it wasn't until my mom passed that like my altar kind of became this grounded place that I really put like time and care into um, because it really became this space for me to connect with her, especially really early on in my grief, like the first like the first days, weeks and months. It was just a real grounding space. I feel like especially just in Western culture. I feel like there's this idea that like death is the end of the relationship. That's the last time you see that person when they die, like that's it. But it was just such a comfort to me to know that I had this altar space where I could go and like see her and, and, you know, bring things to her. And like that just, it just helped keep my connection to her alive in a way that, and then through that connection, it really helped my grief in a way that I don't know, um, I think I might be in a really different place if I hadn't had my altar and had that space to go to. Um, but as far as how it connect helps me connect, it does kind of like how I mentioned, it helps me connect and it's something tangible. I can go to it. I can change the pictures with the, with the seasons. Like you were saying, spring cleaning, like I clean it every Sunday is like put on some music that, you know, my mom listened to, or my people listen to clean it, change the candles. Like, I think just that sense of, um, 
routine is something that helps me connect to my people. And, you know, like I said, it's just the altar space reminds you that they are, their presence is still here. They were very much in the present with me. That's so beautiful. Like, I'm just, you know, picturing that space. I don't know. You just kind of like teleported me to, to <laughs> your world for a second. And it's just yes. really beautiful to envision. Oh, and for the people, <laughs> thank you, for the people who want to build an altar but don't know where to start yeah. or who want to find a way to connect to people who've passed on, like how mm-hmm. would you, you know, guide them to like just creating a, because I know yeah. it's, it's altar spaces are kind of intimidating. You're just like, I don't know what to do, they how are. to do this. They so are. how do you, you know, beginner's guide to altar work? Beginner's guide to altar work. I would say, firstly, that altars are really personal. I, the, I wouldn't say that there's a right way or a wrong way to put up your altar because it's your space to connect with your people. So I would say the first thing about altar building is to really trust your own intuition. Like what feels good to you in your body when you have it in your altar space? What doesn't feel so good? Um, it's about experimentation, really. Like at an end, if experimenting kind of triggers your anxiety, which it can sometimes for me because I'm like too much information at one time. No bueno. My brain can't. <laughs> But like, if if you're one of those people, all you really need is like a glass of water, a candle, and some space. You can start there. And then from there, if you want to expand and have a picture, you want to put some plants up, you want to have some incense, just, you know, you can. But Beginner's Guide 101, if you find yourself being overwhelmed, candle, water, that's all you need. Simple. Yeah, simple. You don't have to, you know, get the tarot cards or like whatever it is that you see on social media or people yes. who are like, this is my altar. This is something yeah. that I've cultivated for like years and years and years. Yeah, you know, I think it's that's not, a, it's not, it's a good not reminder. Good. It's a good reminder because I think, you know, we, we all do the thing where we, we search and we see these elaborate altars and we're like, oh, damn, mine doesn't look like that. So am I doing it wrong? Um, Mm. like there isn't a wrong, your space is your space. It can be as big and elaborate as you want it to be, or it can be really simple and really quiet. There's a lot of beauty in both. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it can be just your little space to just get away. So like, even if you're not into meditation, you can just sit there for like two minutes and just breathe. You know, Mm -hmm. you don't have to, oh my goodness. Is that a cat? Yes. There's a kitty. Oh, I got my heart. I love when cats make appearances. They're so <laughs> gentle. I'm just like distracted from everything I was saying. Just <laughs> she's a she's an old baby too, so that's why she's just being here really quiet. Like, oh, <laughs> so sweet. And also that reminds me, how mm. do animals help in the grief process? I mean, I would say that animals help tremendously in the grief process. Like, animals are those beings that give us love unconditionally and they just ask that we love them in return. Um, They're just, they're just so boundless in that care that they give. Like they can just help the grief process so tremendously by just having another living being keep company with you when you're feeling grief and when you're feeling sadness, when you're feeling like you don't know what to do. um, They're just there. And I know speaking from personal experience, like my, my animals have really helped my grief process um yeah just having them there and having them around to give you love um give you cuddles willingly or unwillingly sometimes (laughs) just having them there is huge um and I think something that's not spoken enough about and given enough acknowledgement is pet loss because pet loss can have 
so much grief surrounding it. Because again, these, these creatures that are here to give us this boundless love, when we lose them, we really are to an extent losing like a member of our family. We're losing something that we cared for, that we poured love into, that gave us love in return. And then, you know, they die or they transition. And I just feel like it would be really lovely to give more acknowledgement and more love to the people that are experiencing pet loss as a valid form of grief. Hmm. Do you offer support for a pet loss? I do. Um, and I think something that comes up really often um, just in the spaces that I offer is um, people saying like, oh, you know, well, I know it's so silly of me to feel this amount of sadness over the fact like, you know, I had to put my dog down. I had to put my cat down. Um, it's so silly and I can't believe I feel this way, but it's completely valid. Again, you lost something that you poured love into. And as long as, you know, the object of your love remains gone, then you're going to be sad. It's the ending, the physical ending of a relationship. Um, mm. So a lot of the support that I offer around that, along with resources, if people are open, is really just acknowledgement and validating those feelings of sadness. Mm. I guess <laughs> Apple, agrees. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Apple agrees. Apple agrees. <laughs> just like, yep, mm -hmm, that's you, right, mama. You that's, tell them. Yes, you tell them. <laughs> It's so beautiful. And I'm just, you know, I'm sitting here like in my little podcast studio looking out into like the, the blooming trees. And it's like, mm. even though we're talking about grief, I just feel very light, which is not something that I was expecting. I feel like yeah. prepping for this conversation, I was like, you know, how do I, you know, talk about something that's just so unspoken? Like we yeah. barely get to talk about grief whether that's be someone who is navigating grief or someone mm -hmm. who is supporting someone who's navigating grief mm -hmm. it's like i think the more that we talk about it the more that we like you said acknowledgement just mm -hmm. allows the space for the feelings to just kind of like bloom and like just go wh whichever way they want to go you know yeah. like non-judgmental space mm -hmm. and i think that can be really really hard um I think it's really hard to hold non-judgmental space for things that we don't even talk about. Um, and again, just in Western culture, it's like, I feel like Western culture is so kind of obsessed with this idea of youth that we don't even get to the subject of death, meaning we don't even get to the subject of grief. Um, and we're in a space, particularly because of COVID, where we are kind of being forced headlong into these conversations because it's no longer it's no longer kind of isolated incidents of like, okay, this person died and now I have to deal with it by myself because we are experiencing like death and grief and change on such a massive level. We do have to engage more in this conversation um, for better or worse. And I, the way I feel about it is that I feel a lot of sadness that this is how we have to engage with the conversation that it has to come because so many people have died from COVID or just medical racism or just police violence. Like it's, it's such a tragedy that that is that that's become the grounds of this conversation. And it feels like we should honor those who, who have died and have been lost by having the conversations because, you know, we can't really avoid them anymore. Right. It's like as a community, I feel like we are we've become desensitized to it because all we're seeing is like numbers yes. on the news where it's like, mm -hmm. oh, 100,000 people died today or these yes. are the global numbers where it's like you see the numbers, but you don't realize that these 
are not just numbers. These are people's family members, people's Mm -hmm. community members. Like this is a life that was, you know, that has come to an end. So it's like, I don't like, what would you say the grieving process is as like a community, as like a whole? What have you like noticed as far as when the pandemic started and where we are now? Um, I feel like the grieving process is always really particular to the person or communities that are grieving. What I will say that I've noticed, um, not so much since the beginning of the pandemic, because I feel at the beginning of the pandemic, I was also kind of in my own personal little grief bubble. So I really was just sitting with my own grief. Mm-hmm. Um, what I what I have noticed on a community, a community level since I started holding um, Black Folks Grieve is that there's just so much compounded grief. Um, Like a lot of what we speak about is just how there's so much grief that we haven't been able to properly touch and talk about. So you have like your personal grief as you being the human being that you are. Um, You know, childhood grief, you have generational grief. And then on top of that, you have the communal grief of, you know, losing someone to police violence. You have that communal grief of trying to care for your community and get medical attention for your community, knowing that you might not get the same kind of care as somebody white might get knowing that your pain might be completely underrated just because you're black and you can take it and you don't feel pain the same way. And then you have the the grief of living in a global pandemic while black. And then you add queerness on that if you are queer, you add transness on that if you are trans, that's a lot of grief. Um, So yeah, that's just something that I'm seeing, just how much grief there is to touch and how few spaces there are to actually engage with it with people who are willing to see you in it and not try to fix it like just let you have the experience of of grief so yeah there's Mm -hmm. just so much so much there is just and it just it's very i think sad for the lack of a better word it's just sad how much we're holding without even noticing that we're holding this this heaviness mm-hmm. you know we wake yes. up in the morning we're just like you know if you're watching the news or listening to the radio it's like mm-hmm. oh we're still here this is mm-hmm. how many people we've lost today yep. and then we just kind of like okay just continue on with our day where it's like right that's not you know i feel like as human beings we're not equipped to to handle like these these monumental yeah like like things where it's like mm-hmm. it's kind of like when you try to imagine your existence in the world and then like you zoom out it's like in the universe in the galaxies it's like yes your brain is like can't comprehend you know can't do that <laughs> make it right. smaller right it's like i can't understand this but you then it's like when it hits home when it's someone that you know you're just like oh shit you know yes. this this is what's happening this is what all these people are feeling around the world this is what these numbers represent like they're exactly. for each number there's a a cluster of people who are going through this emotion and it it's kind of like this this unfortunate camaraderie where we're like damn it's you know yeah this shit is really fucking hard and heavy so like when it comes to the community event that you host black Mm -hmm. folks grieve what does that look like what does like your meetings or like your gatherings look like look like 
Um, black folks grieve is is a pretty intimate space. The numbers go from like six of us up into 12 of us maybe. Um, so it's a very small space and I wanted it to be small because I wanted people to feel comfortable enough to share if they were in the space too while also not feeling like they had to like they had to share if they didn't want to, not feeling like they had to sort of like perform their grief. Um, I wanted people to just be able to show up exactly where they are. And that space really looks like us introducing ourselves, sharing what brings us to the space and what we're grieving. And then from there, it's an unstructured conversation. I have prompts and things that I kind of think about during the week that we can fall back on if people don't really know where to start. But for the mm -hmm. most part, when people come to Black Folks Grieve, they're really in a space to share and be open. And I think that that is one of the most beautiful things about the space is that I'm always so blown away by just how willing people are to be vulnerable and not only be vulnerable, but to also hold other people while they're being vulnerable. And it's just, mm. ugh, it's, it's so moving to see people who sometimes are so deep in their grief, then still have the space to turn around and hold somebody else who is experiencing something maybe similar but different. Um, mm -hmm. So yes, it's really just a place for us to show up, talk about our grief, but not try to fix it, just to be seen in it and just to have a space to be like, you know what, this sucks. It really sucks that, you know, maybe I don't have people who are ready to have this conversation with me. Maybe I don't feel like I have somebody who I can talk to. Maybe I don't want to burden people with my grief. Like, it just feels really good to be able to provide a space where people can show up with their things and be seen that is such an amazing you know thing that you have created and it's another testament of the amazing like much needed work that you're doing so like I wish I could like just stand, stand here and give you a round of applause <laughs> just because it's oh, like thank you it's such it's so needed it's it's genuinely so so needed and I think what we fail to realize is that like sometimes all people just want is to be seen. Like we don't mm -hmm. want, they don't want advice. They don't want to see the, you know, the better greener side. Yes. We don't want to see the, you know, everything happens for a reason. We Especially don't want that. <laughs> it's like, cause it's not sometimes. true. It's really not true sometimes. Mm hmm. And it's just, sometimes it's just hard to sit in the silence and it's like it's uncomfortable for people because it's like we feel like we must fill it with some some hallmark quote or like some something yes absolutely i i so agree with that i i also think that i don't know i have this thought that we are kind of such a capitalistic problem solving driven society that when it comes to things that can't necessarily be fixed um, we don't really know what to do with it. And one of those things is grief. Um, grief isn't something that needs to be fixed to begin with. Grief is a natural emotion that pays tribute to the fact that something has ended and there is sadness there because there was love there. There's nothing in that that needs to be fixed. Um, mm -hmm. But because we have trouble sitting with those heavy emotions and like you said, we do kind of need to fill the space up with something, to be doing something, to be solving something. It can be really hard to just be with someone and also be like, I don't, I can't fix this. Like you're so sad and you're so hurting. And 
and I love you and I can't fix it, that's not a great feeling for anybody trying to support someone who's grieving. It's tough. Mm -hmm. Sounds like this is for anyone listening who's just going through something as like a caretaker to someone who is grieving. Like it's okay to just sit in silence. It's okay to, you know, go over to your friend's house or have a social distance hangout where you just, you know, like, Hey, I see you. You don't have to tell me what's going through your mind. You don't have to try to put words into, you know, this space of just like me and you just being here. Like it's hard to connect because we can't hug as much as we used to. We can't Mm -hmm. offer that like tangible support, but we can lean on our other skills like empathetic listening or like Mm -hmm. active, you know, active listening where it's like I can just sit here and make eye contact with someone and like that in itself can communicate all the things that they're feeling and like absolutely just creating and fostering this beautiful space of like i'm here i see you and we can just sit in the darkness you don't have to do a thing i don't care if you haven't showered in a week like i'm not here to judge you for how you're navigating through this it's like i'm just here for you so it's it's you know you don't need to go out and buy all the cards and the flowers and like fill the person with these things just because they're tangible sometimes it's okay to just be there just all of that all of that so beautifully (laughs) said like I I tell people um a lot when they ask like how can I support someone I know that's grieving um that to kind of just follow their lead like if you if they seem like they need the silence then give them that silence if they seem like they need a distraction and they ask for it give them that distraction let them know that Mm -hmm. you're there if they want to talk about it but a lot of times sometimes you just want to sit with a friend who's going to watch something stupid with you and just give you the space to not think about the heavy thing for a while i think it's also okay to ask people how you can support them um, so that you know how to support them in the ways in which they need not the mm-hmm. ways in which you specifically want to support them, but how they need. Um, and also, I think something that can be really hard but is really truthful is that, like, you're you're going to make mistakes in trying to support somebody. You're going to say the wrong thing at some point. You might hurt their feelings completely by accident in trying to support, and that's okay. It, you're, you're learning. So I would just say to, like, give yourself grace and also give, the person who's grieving grace if they don't necessarily have the space to tell you what they need they're going Mm. through it they might not have the space to be like i need xyz or i need you to babysit or i need you they might not have it um yeah but i think what you said is just is so wonderful like just be there just show up you can just be Mm -hmm. still there's nothing wrong with stillness stillness is where a lot of the care happens sometimes Absolutely. And when it comes to like, you know, supporting friends or family members through grief, like what happens when the person that's navigating the grief is a child? So it's like there's another layer of like they can't really understand what's happening or communicate their needs when it comes to like, hey, you know, where is blank family member? Like it's like they're going through this Mm -hmm. very traumatic thing from the perspective of someone who's still forming connections of what the world is like how do you offer support to a child i haven't had to personally offer support to a child yet but i would say from just speaking from my own thoughts around it i think that it's it's important to take the lead of the child 
Um, I think it's important to let the child know that it's okay to feel sad. It's okay to feel confused. I think a lot of what's really hard about it sometimes for adults and for parents is that you want to find a way to let the child know what's happening while also not overwhelming them. But I think Mm -hmm. that just having that conversation, even if you're stumbling through it, is really, really important Um, because one, you're letting the child know that you're there you're just as sad, you're just as confused, you're also working through the feelings, which also then gives them permission to be sad and confused and ask questions. It really kind of builds that bridge in communication with you. Um, I would also say that as much as you can, I think it's really important to allow children to see that you're grieving which I think can feel counterintuitive because you want to like protect the child. You don't want to see them. You don't want them to see you hurting. You don't want them to, to see you in pain like that. But kind of like mm-hmm. I said, allowing them to witness you grieving gives them also permission to grieve themselves. And again, just opens up that space for you to both meet each other in the middle. Yeah. The power of vulnerability right there. It's like, it's okay to yes. cry in front of your children. Like, it's hard That's though. A, right. It is way easier said than done. You Absolutely. Because you have to feel like you got to be strong. You have to be the one that's like, yes. t- you know, showing everyone how to handle everything with like a brave face. Yes. But sometimes it's okay to melt into the mess, like yes. feel the things. And it's, like, it's so much easier said than done, especially for black and queer and trans people, because we for lack of a better word, a lot of the times we do have to be the ones who go, you know what, whatever, I'll do it. Like we have Mm -hmm. to do things for ourselves because a lot of times we're kind of left in the dust when it comes to support like that. So it Mm -hmm. can be really hard to sit and be like, okay, you know what? I don't have to be strong right now. I don't have to push through anything. I get to just be me in this, in this grief. And um, again, easier said than done, but we deserve it. We deserve it. We deserve it. We deserve it. Mm -hmm. And I think when it comes to like the different complex layers of like our identities where it's like Mm -hmm. being a trans person, being a black person, it's like there's levels of, you know, death where it's like there's sudden Mm -hmm. death where it's like lives are being like just horrifically robbed from you know just from you living and you just existing as you are and it's like not only do we see them like we get you know live news broadcasted of like someone who looks just like us losing their life and then it's like we have this kind of like disregard from like the the larger community that when it comes to us where it's like yeah we can we can show you on the cover of like time magazine Mm -hmm. because this is something that we're going to sensationalize you know yes it's not really like there's no sacredness to you know something that other people are protected from like how often do we see like white lives being murdered on the news like we don't see that we they blur things out and they're like right graphic content but for us it's like we can just sit there and people will just scroll on the internet you're like oh here's another person autoplay this is happening right facebook twitter just autoplaying us dying by the mass loads no right. triggers, no nothing. Nothing. Viral content where it's like millions and millions are sharing and talking about, well, this person deserved this. And it's like this dehumanizing yes. way of like just seeing yourself. And when it comes yes. to that grief, it's like 
we're constantly in a state of grief because there's I guarantee if we log on Instagram right now, mm-hmm. something is going to be there. Someone yep. is going to be there and it's going to yep. be like, well, let me just, you know, keep scrolling. And it's like traumatizing. That is something that I, I said and I continue to say like before the pandemic, during the pandemic, if we ever get to an after the amount mm-hmm. of black death that we witness on these platforms and that we experience in daily life. It's not normal. It is something that it, that has been normalized and desensitized, but that shit's not normal. It is not normal to to log on to Facebook or Twitter or to log on to whatever like you know platform that you get your news on and just see black and brown people being killed on a daily basis. It's not normal that our deaths become content. That's not normal. And then how do you find how do you find closure how do you find closure in that how do you mm-hmm. how do you get the room to just grieve that i feel like when when violent death against black and queer and trans and brown people becomes so normalized and dehumanized where's the room for grief mhm and it's just that's honestly like for some of us it's our constant state where it's like you're just numbed because your body's trying to protect you from exactly these like sudden flashes of like boom Mm. you could be looking at a picture of food and then you scroll and it's like yes something horrific and it's like your brain kind of goes into like self-defense mode where it's like trying to preserve your your emotional you know spoons your capacity so Mm -hmm. it's like you know when we speak about grief and the different types of of deaths that that mm-hmm. occur and the levels to which our identities you know you know impact our our perspectives like this shit is yes. fucking hard like yes even now as like the the asian american uh mm-hmm. like i don't even know how to put it into words but the violence against more minority groups it's like it's just this impossible place where it's like, why is this? Well, we know why because of yes. fucking. We know the why. We know the why, but it's it's like, how do we as a community hold each other? How do we as a community support one another? Because it's it just fucking hurts for lack of a like simpler, like it just fucking hurts. And you live in a state of hurt for so long that you forget that like you're in pain. Yes. And it's like, when you come up for like a breath of fresh air, you're like, whoa, this is joy. I haven't felt this in a while. Right. You know, like whether it's sitting outside. Right. It's like, it comes Mm -hmm. in like these little brief waves for some of us where it's like the wind hits your face on a nice sunny day. You're like, whoa, wait a minute. That That was, you're like, that was, that was different. Right. It's like, (laughs) what was that feeling? I didn't feel nothing in my chest. I, I felt light. So it's I like, laughed. how do we cultivate, right? Laughter. Wow. Yes. <laughs> you know, wow. it's like, how do we cultivate more moments of like support and, and joy and just empathy for one another? I, that makes me think of something that we spoke about in the last grief group that I thought was such a beautiful idea. Um, we were talking about we're talking about just grief and how it kind of throws everything off kilter. 
And somebody offered that they had a moment where they kind of stopped looking for like um, the capital J joy and sort of focused mm -hmm. on the lowercase J joys. Like instead of waiting for like the big thing that was going to be the thing to bring them happiness, they kind mm -hmm. of started going back to childhood joys. Like those little things that they did as a child that they kind of forgot about and reconnected with. And it just led to this discussion of like, how do we how do we find joy um, when it's hard to recognize? And it was really mm -hmm. little things like wearing your favorite color as a kid or doing crosswords or going out and enjoying the hell out of a smoothie that you got to drink like <laughs> while walking outside. And I just thought like, that's such a beautiful thought to focus on. Like, it sounds really kind of cheesy, I guess, but like focusing on the little things um, mm -hmm. as they come to you. And I think um, kind of just going back to your question about how we can support each other and foster a community, um, going a little off of what I just said, I think it kind of connects back to what you said about vulnerability. I think that we in order for us to really hold each other, we do have to be vulnerable with each other. And that's really hard um, across the board. I think it's hard to be vulnerable with each other when like each group has these hurts that are all really based on white supremacy. Like mm -hmm. white supremacy is the thing that kind of keeps us all from being vulnerable and like there for each other. Um, but yeah, I think that's a big part of it. Mm hmm. Just once again, it all circles back to just seeing each other, just being like, hey, mm -hmm. I'm here. Like, yes, whatever here looks like for you right now, like whether it's sitting on the phone with you, sitting on like Zoom with you or sitting on your balcony. Yeah. It's it's there are many levels of, of support that we can offer that don't require like monetary things or like Say feeling that silence. That say that especially the monetary part because um, mm -hmm. I feel like I feel like sometimes there's this idea that you like the only way that you can be there for people is like buying them things or like giving mm -hmm. them things or just interacting with them on a monetary level and some people really like want and need support on that level so it's not something that is a crazy idea but there's also mm -hmm. so much to give just on in the non-monetary sense, your time, right. your silence, your feelings, making things for somebody, making food for people if you're capable, cleaning mm -hmm. for people if you're capable. Like there's just all of these non-monetary ways to show people that you love them and you're there. And I think oftentimes those moments last, you know, longer because it's like if I buy you some flowers, it's like in a week's time the flowers are going to be gone yeah. you know if i get you a card sometimes people just misplace cards so it's like yeah. but you're going to remember the one time that your friend just you know sat outside your house just letting you know that like i'm here yeah. you know i can't see you but i'm in the parking lot if you need absolutely something it's like just I'm knowing here. and it's like it's it's i'm finding that that's all that i can do like being honest with yourself it's like whatever you have the capacity for that's enough because it's yes. like that's all that you can do like that's also okay to give yourself that grace and compassion and just be like this is all that I can give to my friend yes. and that's okay I'm okay with offering you know silent lunches mm -hmm. or whatever the case may be yeah because it's just 
you know, there's no proper way to support a grieving friend or a grieving family member. And there's no proper way to, there's no like set of rules to what will fix the problem. Cause there's no fixing like mm-hmm. grief comes in waves. It can last years, decades. It can yes. look many different ways. Some people don't like talking about it. Other people just want to talk about it and like sit and cry. Some people want exactly. to, you know, distract themselves and all of these things are completely okay. So it's just, you know, yes. as you're trying to think about how to just be there for yourself, just mm-hmm. give yourself the grace and compassion, being there for your family or your friends, grace and compassion, just empathy is all that people are asking for. Just see me. Yes. Just hear me. You know? See me and don't try to fix me because I don't need to be fixed. I just need to be seen and felt. Um, mm-hmm. I yeah, I love that you mentioned like checking in with your own capacity because I feel like that's mm-hmm. also a big part of supporting people who are grieving is checking yourself and checking your own needs, um, right. which also can mean like checking your own bias. Um, mm-hmm. Like, you know, I I know that there are people sometimes who look at people who are grieving and are like, oh, well, it's been two weeks. You're still sad about this? Like, before you try to offer anybody support, it's probably really helpful to sit and be like, okay, am I projecting onto this person? Um, what am I projecting? If I am projecting, do I have an mm-hmm. idea of how they should be grieving? And um, am I having difficulty supporting them because I don't feel like they're performing it in the way that I feel like they should be? Like, I just, mm-hmm. I think a large part of supporting people who are grieving does come with checking in with, your own your own things knowing what comes up for you knowing what your triggers are not to say that Mm -hmm. that means that you still can't support people once you acknowledge what those are but it's just important to know what your things are before you go leapfrogging and bounding to be there for somebody else who might set your triggers off Mm -hmm. absolutely it's 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 like a two-way street, you know, mm-hmm. like in order for you to show up for your friend or your, the person that you're trying to care for, you have to first see what you can do. What is your capacity? Be honest with yourself. Like if you exactly. can't offer the emotional capacity because you're, you're grieving yourself, that's okay. You can yes. find another way, whether that's mm-hmm. sending Uber Eats, you send a meal, you know, yes. it's like, there offer. are so many different things that you can like offer. Yes. Offer what you can offer. And -hmm. if you can't go above that, that's absolutely fine. I think it's like this, um, it's like this dance of centering and decentering of self, centering Mm -hmm. yourself enough to at least have an idea of what your personal things are that might come up Mm -hmm. for you or be triggered um, for you by supporting this person, but also Mm -hmm. decentering yourself enough to, to know that you don't have to be like the be all and end all for this person that you're supporting. You don't have to fix it. You don't have to be the ultimate support to this person. There could be somebody who might be better equipped to help support them in the way that they might need. And that's not a reflection Mm -hmm. of them. And that's not a reflection of you. It's a reflection of care to do what you can do and to center yourself that way and honor them in that way too. Mm Mm-hmm. It's just, so many complex things, but at the end of the day, it's just a matter of sitting with yourself and just seeing what's, what's possible for me right now. What's not possible. And then being okay with that, whatever comes up, it's like, just be okay with that. Yes. And that again, easier said than done, especially Mm -hmm. in the world that we're living in right now. So much easier said than done, but it is, it's worth the effort. 
Right. And I have a, like, something that I'm curious about. It's like, what does your work look like as a hospice volunteer? Mm. Yeah. Um, so I started volunteering with hospice uh, right before my mother died um, and right before the virus kind of hit. So my idea for hospice care is definitely, has definitely like shifted with the reality that we're living in. So when I originally started volunteering, it was going to visit people um, in um, hospice and palliative care homes. And now that's more shifted to um, friendly visitor phone calls. So I call like a particular person um, every Friday and we just chat about how they're feeling, how they're doing. Um, They share what they wanna share. I don't force them into sharing anything. And it's just a really nice way to connect to somebody who who is dying um, and who is, you know, making that journey and maybe trying to figure that out for themselves. But also, again, a nice way to just connect to someone on a human level and to Mm. let them know that there's someone out there who's thinking of them, who cares about what happens to them. So it's mainly um, phone calls right now because a lot of places aren't doing in-person visits naturally. Mm -hmm. Do you have any, like, I guess any pivotal moments or pivotal conversations from, you know, these types of scenarios that have kind of like just stuck with you throughout your work? Um, I will say that a moment that stuck out for me was a call that I had with somebody and it was around the time of my, my mother's, um, like the anniversary of her death. And I called, I made my call and she kind of surprised me because we had been speaking for a while and she lost her partner and she kind of shared with me like not out of nowhere but just unexpectedly like just these memories that she had of like having Christmas with him and how he loved to decorate and how they would go all out for the kids when they were younger and just like all of these traditions that they had Um, and it just really it really touched me that she would share that with me, but it was also just a really nice, it was just a really nice moment of remembering that I'm not alone in my grief, even though we're Mm. not grieving the same person. Like there is somebody else out there who the holidays were tough for. Um, So that really stuck with me. And I felt, I felt really lucky that she trusted me with that. Mm. That's such a, you know, testament, I feel like, for, once again, for the type of energy that you foster and that you create, because even now just sitting across from you, I just feel this like softness and like this just like, it feels like a spiritual hug. This is what Aww, it feels like just talking to you. That's the best compliment I've ever gotten. Yes. <laughs> Your energy is just radiant. And I wish, I, I just wish that I knew you all the different times that I was trying to support my friends and my loved ones through, through these really hard moments. Cause it's like this, I feel like this is what I aspire to, to give to people, which is just like this mm-hmm. warm embrace of a hug from through the computer screen. I feel like that's a skill that you have to really either be born with or foster through practice. And it, it just sounds like from talking to you, it sounds like you've been truly putting in the work to, offer support and resources to this kind of like uncharted territory which is it's just amazing and i'm just Thank grateful you. to to know you virtually and, and to get to connect you know with me. you and i'm Listen, here i've been i know each other now <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna come to brooklyn one day and be like hey you better bring we're gonna sit patties. outside at the park 
I got you. Be fine. We're you. gonna kick it. It's gonna be great. Um, it's gonna be great. <laughs> yes, but yes, and I and I receive your words, and I thank you so much, um, because I, on the one hand, I, I I feel like it is so important to just be able to provide spaces and resources around grief, um, but I'm also navigating my own grief journey as well, so I'm definitely finding that balance, and I'm also very new to this, so I'm not somebody who. I'm not an expert. I don't claim to know everything. I truly don't <laughs> want to be an expert. Like I am just somebody who has a lived experience that I hope can be helpful to myself and to others. Mm. <sighs> well, it's been such an amazing journey. Just this conversation alone, I've learned things that I needed to learn. And I hope that the listeners have gotten something that can help them in their journey, whether that's a person who's grieving or a person who's offering support to a grieving friend or a family member. And I just, how can people find you and find your work and connect with you with, you know, your services? Yes. Um, so if you're interested in finding me, um, you can visit my website, which is www.gloriousum.com. There I have my offerings. I have a little bit about me. I have events that are coming up. And I also just have like some blog posts about my thoughts on grief and moving through it while supporting others. So that's a really great place to find me. Um, you can also find me on Instagram, which is just the glorious hum. I go in and out of that space because sometimes it's just a lot <laughs> but for the most mm -hmm. part that's a really good way to connect with me as well and there I shared my thoughts on grief some things that come up for me around the death of my mom and also just any really great resources that I come across but for the most part my platform is really a place for me to ask other people questions about their grief experiences because I feel like that mm -hmm. is a way that we we can learn from each other Absolutely. And I will say that her Instagram is lit because I have like the infographics are such an easy way to consume just key, you know, lessons and knowledge that takes years to foster. So it's like the way that you curate your Instagram, I've honestly, I just scroll through there and just like kind of like absorb the knowledge and the questions that you ask just allow me to reflect. So I would say follow her on IG well, and make sure you... People. <laughs> <laughs> and just yeah thank you Naomi thank you so so much like it's been just an amazing conversation so I'm really grateful for your time and your energy and your presence here thank you for having me and it's so nice to connect with you on this platform I hope you have a beautiful day it is nice and sunny it's like Saturday what 1 p.m. I'm so excited about to take a get walk get some fresh air there yes you go Let's center yourself ground yourself y'all yes Look. you know we know the vibes. <laughs> Life with magic. Life with magic. Thank you for listening to the Life with Magic podcast. I hope you found something helpful in our deep dive into the complexities of grief. If you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. Thank you again, and I'll see you next time. Peace.